team when you put it all together and bring it all together, and then you add in the supporting cast and what he's working with on the offensive line. To me, he's the clear MVP favorite right on this edition of Against the Grain, we'll solve the NFL officiating problem. We'll break down Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay's top five college quarterbacks. And we'll talk to a fantasy analytics expert who's got great takes on the NFL. Let's go. We are cutting against the grain. 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 Now your host for Against the Grain. Against the grain. Here's Andrew Perloff. All right, welcome to the Against the Grain podcast. I'm Andrew Perloff. I'm sitting here with my trusted producer, Mario Miranda. I'm going to solve the officiating problem, Mario. Are you ready? I'm ready for this. All that has to happen and all that's ever needed to happen was that the officials huddle on a close call. Somebody in the New York office calls them because they have a way to do that and says, guys, be careful. Everyone's watching. Don't screw this up. Pull up that flag or call this or call that. Now, that's what should have happened in the NFC Championship game last year. They did huddle. There is a way, and I know this is a fact, that New York could have communicated with them and could have stopped all this from happening. And then they wouldn't be reviewing PI. What's the big deal? Just get it right. I don't even care if you have to cheat and call in or you have to text the guy. Just take your time. Sit around and meet. Everybody huddle together. We can wait 10 seconds compared to three minutes for a review. And we'll have much less of this if they can just eliminate half these problems because it's just getting embarrassing. And it's the primetime games that everyone notices. Okay, so the Giants' Golden Tate gets mugged, basically, on a deep pass. They don't call pass interference. They don't review it and reverse it. Then on Monday night, of course, the Lions get robbed on the Packers. The thing that really, really got to me was on Sunday, I picked the Falcons on my pick show to beat the Cardinals. And then... The officials, it was like they were going out of their way every third play to screw the Falcons. Is that too harsh, Mario? Uh, maybe, but I, no, think it's it's, I, think no, it's, no. I think it's just at this point. Okay, there were so many plays in the Falcons game. Like Mike Pereira kept coming on and saying, I don't even know what they're doing here. And then at the very end, Kyler Murray was short of a first down, but they refused to uh, reverse it and replay. And I love the, the tweet, very simple tweet on that play by Joe Thomas, who was on the Dan Patrick show this week. He said, Instant replay is dead in the NFL. It is. It's just like something has happened. They're so affected by the PI review that they're not ter- overturning other calls. It's like a virus that has gone through them. Sometimes I wonder if it's something personal where the NFL officials do not like all this talk of a sky judge and basically that everyone highlighting how much help they need. So they're taking it personally and they're like, well, we're going to do what we want to do. This week, the NFL's owners are meeting in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, head of uh, officiating Al Riveron will be there. I'm sure the owners are sick of this publicity. They do not want Tom Brady, the number one player in the league, tweeting at halftime of a primetime game saying this has to stop. And I think Monday night was also a tipping point. They're going to say, hey, let's get this in order. Uh, it's way too little too late. The owners should have been focused on this before because I think officiating, with especially with social media, it's just it's got to be better because everyone notices it. So, But they should just cheat and call. Just call. If we could see it. I'll call them. I'll call Cleet Blakeman <laughs> and say, dude, make sure that you do not, you know, huddle and take that flag back. It was not hands to the face. What are you, what are you thinking? Mario? I have a couple questions about your, okay. um, you know, your fix for this. So would the officials lose credibility from the players? Like, oh yeah, I don't care what you have to say. Let's just go talk to the guy, you know, that you're going to text in about five minutes. That's a great point. But the officials are basically officiating 
to replay. They, you know, they know that every scoring play is instantly reviewed, so they're going to call a touchdown if it's really close because they know it'll go to review. So they've already lost some credibility. That's a very valid point, but it's still worth the fix. My second question, can they do this in a way, um, will it just have like an, like, you know, an IFB like uh, Dan has or, one, you know, something, a, ta- a talent, mm-hmm. and nobody really knows that there's somebody feeding them stuff? Yeah. Uh, why not? Was that Would that be like kind of not being transparent they do with have the fans? I, I think one of the officials does have. I don't know. I think they can communicate. Can we'll they? have to find that out. We're yeah. going to answer that on against the grain. We're going to talk... Uh, you know, I got to call up my old friend, Dean Blandino. Dean is the coolest. Do they, ne- the NFL letting Dean out of the building was a huge <laughs> mistake because he was the head of officiating. He was also a great public face for explaining what was going on. Yeah. Al Riveron does not do that. So I, I think Mike, the two great communicators who were ahead of that department, Mike Pereira and Dean Blandino, everybody loves those guys. At least they can explain this to us or at least try to explain this to us. Uh, so, but anyway, there's enough on Twitter about how bad the officiating is. I want to talk about something more positive, Mario. Let's do it. So today, Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay wrote a story for ESPN's Insider ranking the top five quarterbacks in the 2020 draft. That's behind a paywall. If you can't get it, I'll give it to you now. Uh, basically, I, I would pay $4.99 a month for this content. This is the only, I will click on this story pretty much over anything. Is there any, any kind of story? Anything? None. Nope. This is Maybe number a, one. Yeah. Number Diane one Williamson seed. highlights? Nope. Okay. I've seen those already. Okay. Number one, uh, Kuiper and McShay both agree is Tua Tungavailoa, Alabama. Do you happen to watch A&M game this weekend? I didn't, but I bet on it. So what I don't understand about Tua, and I've had a lot of debates about this, he basically throws a six-yard pass, and the future first-round wide receiver runs for 40 yards. How much credit do you give Tua? I'm, I'm actually starting to think he deserves more credit because he's pinpoint accurate on those short passes. And that's a huge deal in the NFL. Basically, guys run after the catch, which means he's doing something right. Because we all know bad quarterbacks, they'll throw a six-yard pass, and the guy was to reach behind him and just die. Mm-hmm. So I, I think Tua has really proven himself. And it's like, his, what, 26 touchdowns, one pick, or maybe 27 and one pick? Uh, I'm pretty confident that he is the number one guy. Also, excitement. If you're Miami, you know the number two guy, Justin Herbert, looks like every NFL quarterback who's ever been drafted high. Two is just different. He might, you know what he reminds me of? A star NBA point guard. It's like he Tua. sees the whole whole field in front of him. Tua. He sees the whole field in front of him. He moves in a way that he's manipulating everyone around. He goes through his reads at a ridiculous rate. Watch his eyes next time he plays. Boom, 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 boom. Uh, it is insane, the receivers he has. I have never seen a college receiving court. And I saw Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry together. I saw Sammy Watkins and Luke Hopkins together. Oh. I, I don't know. Sam, I think Sammy and Mike might over? have missed each other. Okay. I'll have to double check that. Clemson had a ridiculous, and they had Jaron Brown, like or else you had Jaron. One of them. They all. They both had like four pros at the same time. Yeah. But Alabama. I mean, how many of these guys? Jerry Judy is the number one guy on Mel Kiper's board, but I don't know that he's the best receiver there. Henry uh, Ruggs. Henry Ruggs is ridiculous. He's going to run a four-two. He kind of been a little nicked up this season. He's a first rounder for sure. Jalen Waddell, who has to wait a year to come out, is a first-rounder. And the revelation is Devonta Smith, who's their leading receiver this year. He has nine touchdowns. He is so fast. I don't know anything about his backstory. Mm-hmm. But that's probably four first-rounders, although it's such a rich wide receiver class that they might be pushed down. So two at number one, I am absolutely good with that. Do you sign off, Mario? Yeah, two at number yeah one? I'm cool with that. Okay, number two, Justin Herbert. 
Now, Herbert had the uh, platform himself on Friday night when Oregon played Colorado. He looks like a combination of Jay Cutler, Blake Bortles, uh, who's another tall, Ben Roethlisberger, a 6'4 quarterback. When the ball comes out of his hands, it just looks different. It looks like an NFL quarterback throwing the football. Now, I don't know exactly know that that's exactly what teams want. He's 6'6". The tall thing is a little worrisome, but he can move a lot. I worry about his accuracy. Uh, like, for example, against Colorado in a game that I think Twitter is saying he's playing well. He was 18 of 32. In college, that's pretty bad. Yeah. So I worry about his accuracy. I think that could push him at least to two. But, man, it comes out of his hand like a pro. Um, also, McShay notes his decision-making is questionable. Uh, and also, too, we don't know much about Justin Herbert. Like, he's not a personality that jumps off the screen no. like Tua. Uh, and he's got, as I noted on Twitter, he's got a weird haircut. But I'm okay with it. The dude is obviously talented. Now, here's the interesting one. LSU Joe Burrow. He's been rising since uh, the yeah, beginning of the season, right? Stats are crazy. There's one thing that draft guys look at. The NFL looks at more height. The dude's 6'3". <laughs> he, let's face it. 6'3", and you're in. I don't care like what Russell Wilson does. I don't care. You know, Baker Mayfield struggles. It could probably have people think it twice. I don't care if Kyler Murray goes number one. If you're 6'3", and you throw like, you know, 40 touchdowns and three picks, you're going in the first round. So Joe Burrow is going in the first round. Uh, should should pass? I mean, who? What other? What other um, LSU quarterbacks have there been? Though, should no, that that's factor in. No, well, Jamarcus Russell was number one. Zach Mettenberg, like, yeah, yeah. But basically, LSU's never had a good quarterback, so yeah. that he can do that there is says something. But Kuiper warned that he has a tough schedule coming up. We know they have Alabama coming up, mm-hmm. so we'll see about that. Now we get really interesting. I think everybody's good with those three. Now, number four, Jacob Eason. Somebody who knows these things said, watch out for Jacob Eason to go higher than a lot of the other guys. Again, what did, what did I say the most important factor was? Height. <laughs> He's huge. And the ball comes out of his hand perfectly. Mm-hmm. This is a Washington quarterback who transferred out of Georgia. Georgia. 6'6", 227. Uh, Bixay and Kuiper love him. That's a big deal, actually. So I think that all the tools are there. We never really see him play that much. But you watch him, and you're like, whoa, that's an NFL quarterback. Yeah, this weekend, uh, Just, Justin Herbert and uh, Jacob Eason. Tall quarterback off. Mm-hmm. And number five, Jake Fromm. Now, Mario was in Atlantic City this weekend and did, what was it, a 10-team parlay, ten all college? 10-team parlay, all college. And you picked all the favorites. All favorites. But somehow you didn't pick Georgia against South Carolina. I don't know how I missed that one. There were a couple looking back that I was like, all right, I wish I would have taken like uh, you know Tulane over UConn or something. But for some reason, I didn't take... Georgia over North or South Carolina, and thankfully, because I won the parlay. Yeah, did you watch that game? Fromm was not good. No, he three picks. Really bad. And he, he's never had... That's the one thing he does. He plays under control. Uh, interesting. Uh, Kuiper has a very interesting note on says that, remember, he's a true junior. He could go back. And if uh, it's a quarterback-heavy class, I wouldn't be surprised. Now, this is number five. McShay says, if Fromm is 5A, and I quote... Utah State's Jordan Love is 5B. Now, that's a guy we talk about a lot on this Mm -hmm. podcast. Completely fell apart against LSU. Um, Let's see. What did McShay say? He had a 44 total QBR. uh, Oh, he has a 44 total QBR in the season. Six touchdowns, passes, eight interceptions, and had three picks against LSU. So how is he a first-rounder? Basically, McShay says that he's got all the tools. Can extend plays with his feet, big arm, and again, height. He's in the 6'3", 6'4", area. So... That's really interesting. The name they do not put in their top five is Jalen Hurts, who I thought looked pretty, 
pretty pedestrian as a passer against Texas. Mm-hmm. And so did Sam Ellinger. Now, Ellinger is definitely going back to Texas, so I don't think he's in the discussion. But it's very interesting. Are we going to get five, six first-rounders? The other thing is the free agent class is going to be mobbed next year. You're going to have Mariota. You're going to have Winston. Uh, you might have, you never know, you might have Cam Newton. You might have a lot, or trade possibly. You might have a lot going on there. So if you're a team like Tennessee, are you drafting a quarterback? Do you want a rookie? I mean, you have a great defense and a big offensive line and a running back. Are you going to draft a rookie? I don't know. So we'll see. A lot of this has to do with demand. All right, we're going to talk about all these topics uh, and a little fantasy football. We won't go too fantasy heavy because I know not everybody here plays fantasy. But uh, our next guest uh, really has great opinions on everything. J.J. Zachariason, and he's going to start with officiating because I think he has some ideas as well. Okay, I have really enjoyed following our next guest on Twitter recently. He had a tweet last night that I think summed up the entire situation with the NFL in 2019. Uh, idea, the NFL, comma, but with good officiating. And that was all. How great would the NFL be with good officiating? We welcome in J.J. Zacharyson. Now, J.J., how much, you know, you're a fantasy guy. How much has the bad officiating impacted your experience with the NFL this year? It's been rough. Um, you know, it's one of those things, too, where I don't look at the individual officials and say, you're doing an awful job, because I, I don't know how easy it is to be an official on an NFL field. Um, and I would assume that it's a, it's a difficult thing or relatively difficult thing to do. But I think just systematically, there's an issue here. Um, and it's, it's one where um, I think in a lot of instances, and a lot of people would probably agree, that the only reason we're even watching some of these games, because some of them become so unwatchable, but it is because of fantasy football. It is because we have some sort of tie to what's going on and the outcome of these individual player performances, whereas the game outcome has become uh, a, a lot less meaningful because of the way that, uh, not just the way that, that uh, calls have gone down, uh, but the, the way that, um, you know, these the, the, the way that the, the game itself slows down and, and the review process is, is sort of uh, coming together. So I, I think, you know, back to the tweet, I mean, it really is, you know, we all love the NFL, but it would just, I just want the NFL to be what it, it what we fell in love with. Um, and it doesn't have the starting and stopping and I'm not even against replay. You know, it's not even that so much. It's just, we need to be quicker. It needs to be faster. It needs to um, be a little bit more systematic so we can feel more comfortable with how these games are being called. Okay, I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. There's a great Freakonomics essay about how controversy sells in sports. For example, the PED craze, we all said it was terrible for baseball, but ratings went up. All mm-hmm. the different gates in the NFL, deflate gate and et cetera, ratings skyrocketed right in the middle of a lot of that stuff. Is it possible that the NFL is just sort of grabbing the news cycle with this bad officiating and really I'm not sure ratings are suffering along with the officiating. So is it possible that this isn't as bad as we all think? And maybe Twitter is just in an outrage because that's what Twitter does. I think it's possible. Um, but at the same time, anytime I look at like, and think about ratings, of course you want it to, to at least flatline or increase or, you know, be, be better year over year and so on. Uh, but at the same time, you can always look at it as it could be that much better. Um, and, and that's sort of the way that I'm looking at it with the NFL, where um, the NFL inherently has things set up so well from the perspective of, you know, you can play fantasy and you can uh, you, you don't have to devote a ton of time to it because it's, a, it's one game a week. It's very easy to, to follow as a result of that. 
Um, and the scheduling's perfect, the way that you have 32 teams and you can just you, you know who uh, each team is going to be playing each and every year. Everything just kind of falls perfectly together. Um, and so, you know, from from the standpoint of of how it can be better, um, I, I think that that better officiating it would make sense that 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 would help things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that that you know, it's 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 the the adage that. Uh, all PR is, is good PR, even if it's negative. Um, and that's sort of what the NFL is, is dealing with right now. I would say at the end of the day, though, um, you know, if this goes on long term, it'll hurt the product. Yeah. Short term wise, they probably don't care as much or it doesn't matter as much. But, you know, j- just as the NFL does things, I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, we go the rest of the season just yelling uh, behind our laptops about this. Um, and then at the end of the season, you know, when they regroup, they, they start to change some things. So we might be dealing with this for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, as we're speaking, Al Riveron's at the owner's meeting in Fort Lauderdale. I think the NFL is embarrassed by some of the social media thing. You know, Tom Brady's tweet at halftime ended that crazy offensive holding thing, which, by the way, yeah. affected fantasy numbers. Because uh, <laughs> you're not going to believe this. What My favorite quarterback, Case Keenum, long story, JJ, don't ask. He was getting a lot of passing yards because he was in first and 20 every single play because every two-yard run was a holding call. How a two-yard run can be a holding call consistently in the NFL drives me crazy. But anyway, I don't even want to go down there. I want to ask some fantasy slash NFL questions. There's been some uh, guys with huge starts. One guy I want to ask you about, Christian McCaffrey of the Panthers, an MVP candidate. Do you think the Panthers are going to start to scale back on how much they use him? Because especially if they're a playoff team, the wear and tear on a running back, this just seems this many touches is unsustainable. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I mean, I... I, I think overall that they, they kind of have to force feed them the way that the offense runs and operates and they don't have that much depth of the position. Um, so as a result, you know, it just makes sense that they're going to have to use them. I will say though, um, you know, to the, to the point about him being an MVP candidate, I'm, I'm most definitely part of the, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to make this just a blank state or just a blanket statement and say that running backs don't matter. Um, but I do think that from a value standpoint, it's just difficult for me to, to think that or to see that a running back could have that much of an impact. Uh, on an, in an NFL offense. And at the same time, you know, if you look at, at what the Panthers are doing offensively, they were fine against Tampa Bay this past week. Tampa Bay uh, showing showing that they're not nearly as good defensively as we thought that they might have been after the first couple of weeks of the season. Uh, but even still, uh, this Panthers offense is still a bottom half-ish uh, offense uh, in, in the league right now. It's hard to, to associate a running back like that um, to be an MVP candidate in an offense that's, that's really not performing. Now, understood you know, Cam Newton's not there. They're, they're using a backup quarterback. Um, but even still, um, you know, just, just looking at the situation, it's hard. You know, it, it's, it's all subjective. It depends on how people are defining MVP and, and all of that. But, um, and that, that's really why, you know, it's, it's such a gray area. But at the same time, it's just hard to, to not give it, give the nod to a, to a quarterback in general. But, you know, to answer your question more directly, I think they have to kind of ride CMC. I would, I would love to see them use DJ more, more, uh, in the, yeah. in the shorter uh, routes in, in that area of the field, because he has that golden Tate like yak ability. Um, but I just think the way that North Turner's running this offense, it's, it's Chris, the Christian McCaffrey show. But he had that weird stat line last week in, uh, 22 carries for 31 yards, uh, against Tampa Bay. That's, you know, I watched the beginning of the game it was on early and he looked like he was dominating them. Then they just stuffed him. So I wonder you know, here's the th- I was also going to ask you later, uh, is Cam Newton in real danger of losing his job here, do you think? I don't think so. Uh, I actually live in Charlotte, North Carolina, so I, I love hearing the back and forth and all the uh, the, the Kyle Allen, Cam Newton yeah. stuff. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, look, look, we, we have a small sample with Kyle Allen. I'm very much not, I mean, being a data person, I'm very much not a, a quarterback wins type person. Um, but the one thing that we have to keep in mind too, with Christian McCaffrey, um, and this goes for, for everything Panther related for the most part, they played in fairly close games. Um, and when you're in closer in neutral game scripts like that, uh, you're going to feature your, your best players more. You know, it's not like they're seeing a, an ultra positive script where they can throw in Reggie Bonifon and let him do his thing, or even a negative script where they don't want to risk an injury with Christian McCaffrey. So they take him out of the game. So I think that's kind of skewing things a bit. And as game scripts kind of fluctuates, which it will uh, down the stretch, they might not have to use Christian McCaffrey as much. Um, but with the Kyle Allen, Cam Newton thing, I mean, the larger sample size still shows that Cam Newton uh, is a good quarterback. And, and this is something that we might touch on at some point, but uh, running the football and, and the, the rushing ability for individual quarterbacks is something that goes really unnoticed amongst fans. And it's something that, I mean, all of us, it's very easy to, to sort of ignore the rushing aspect of some of these quarterbacks, especially in today's NFL, where there are more uh, mobile quarterbacks who are doing so much with their legs. Uh, but it's really easy to ignore that and sort of focus on what they do with their arms. Um, and Cam Newton, sure, he has plenty of flaws uh, w- with his arm. Um, but again, you know, you have to add in that that aspect of what he can do with his legs when he's healthy. Um, and it, it's just, you know, he brings a, a different dynamic to that offense. So I'm very much in the camp that if Cam Newton is healthy, he should be under center. That's interesting you say about that we underestimate running. It's almost like the running is viewed as negative, especially during draft period, where people say, oh, that guy can run, meaning like he's not doing the right things as a quarterback. Do you think that was ever true in the NFL and has changed, or do you think that's just a bias that we all have for some whatever reason? Yeah, I think it's just this inherent bias that we have. I mean, something crazy, you know, if you look at like Lamar Jackson right now, um, you know, obviously he's he's not as good of a thrower as what you'll see from a Patrick Mahomes or uh, Russell Wilson even. Obviously, Russ can, can do both as well, uh, pretty well, and even Mahomes to a degree. But uh, we use a, a, a metric at NumberFire called net expected points, which is just an expected points model, which basically shows how many points above or below expectation a particular player is playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Lamar Jackson so far this year per rush, he's adding 0.52 points. So this is real points, not fantasy points or anything. He's adding 0.52 points per rush. So every time he runs the football, he's adding 0.52 points for that Ravens offense. Patrick Mahomes per drop back this year is adding 0.35 points per drop back. So I'm not saying that we would rather have Lamar Jackson run the football than Patrick Mahomes throw the football. But, but one thing that, that really, again, goes unnoticed with the way that these quarterbacks can run the ball uh, is that when you're scrambling or when you're running, you're oftentimes scrambling. Um, and when you're scrambling, it's usually a passing down. It's an important down. So it's a third down and you can extend drives that way. And that's why those numbers show what they show. So um, it, it's something that, that I think, again, it just it goes a little bit unnoticed. Uh, but when you add that all together, you know, Lamar Jackson goes from being a fringe top 10 quarterback to start the year from, with his arm to a, a clear top five one when you yeah. factor in what he could do with his leg. Has he been, who's been number one so far this year from a fantasy standpoint? Is it Lamar? Fantasy, uh, I, I think it's either Lamar or Mahomes, or, but I haven't seen the total numbers, right. but it's, it's, it's still one of the two. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, Lamar Jackson, again, with his legs, we, we call it, it was dubbed uh, a few years ago called the uh, Konami effect, the Konami code, you know, the, the <laughs> old, the old code on, on uh, Nintendo and, and whatnot, but um, it's, it's dubbed that because having a Russian quarterback in fantasy football is a complete cheat code. Um, and it's, it's really you totally. get the high floor and the high ceiling combo. And Lamar Jackson, I mean, moving forward, he's just breaking fantasy football. Well, it's interesting though. I mean, he lit up a Bengals linebacking core that is 
the worst in the history of the NFL. You, yeah. you knew he was going to do it. The, the Bengals can't tackle anybody, so there's no way they were going to tackle him. This week against Seattle, I'm curious if Bobby Wagner or K.J. Wright is going to try and get a shot in. So, I mean, that's that's the question. And I think uh, I think Harbaugh addressed the durability there, which gets back to my Christian McCaffrey thing. I were, you know, I wonder if these guys, like Todd Gurley, they were running him into the ground. It's just like how much how much running can a quarterback do? But other people argue that Lamar Jackson's great at avoiding big hits. Where do you stand on how a guy like him should should approach running? Yeah, I mean, so I remember at the beginning of the season where people were more weary of someone like Lamar Jackson than other running backs, but there's nothing that tells us data-wise that, that or statistically that a, a quarterback is going to be more prone to just getting uh, injured via rushing than a running back would. But, um, you know, obviously there's going to be some correlation with someone running the ball more and getting hurt at a higher rate. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what you see with Lamar Jackson, he's, he is good at avoiding contact. He's good at going down. He's good at going out of bounds. Um, whereas you know that a running back is going to be running more so in between the tackles uh, than, than, than someone like Jackson will. So I, I think that there's some merit to at least, uh, you know, looking at it from an injury perspective. I mean, this is, again, this is another reason why uh, we, we have this really weird, it's almost a moral dilemma of, of how we view running backs in the NFL. Um, and how, uh, you know, when they get their second contract or when they're up for their second contract, whether or not teams should be giving them that contract, yeah. because we know that there is that injury risk and we're seeing it with Todd Gurley, you know, they hand him the money, um, and, and he was banged up, uh, last season, obviously, and into the Super Bowl. Um, and then this year he's already a little bit banged up and he's not seeing the same workload that he saw otherwise. Uh, there's just, it, it, it's unfortunate because it's not like someone sitting here and saying these running backs don't deserve to, to be paid at, at, a, at a particular level uh, compared to their peers. But the reality of the situation is that the position has become a little bit more devalued, not just because passing has become more efficient, but because there's just a, a large supply of running backs out there that can, that can fit in. And there's a lot of uh, data that suggests that offensive line play is more important to a running back than the, the running back talent itself. Um, so I, I think that that's, that's sort of where the dilemma comes into play where there's the injury risk and, and there's, uh, the situation that's just as important, and, and it all you know comes together to, to being a, a big question mark at the running back. Do you remember a guy like uh, McCaffrey? Like it feels like he's just winning leagues on his own right now. It's I don't remember the last time, and I know you don't have the numbers in front of you, but I feel like he's the most dominant running back fantasy wise I remember in some time. Yeah, I mean we had some of it with Todd Gurley last year, and then yeah. he, and then he you know he ended up going down. Um, it's it's really. The, the difference between Gurley and CMC, though, is that McCaffrey isn't doing it just by getting, just by being in this elite offense and getting all his goal line work. Right? He's 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 literally, you know, his market share numbers are out of control. The the workload that he's seeing in that offense. So, um, you know, I, I think that if you wanted to make an argument for a player or a running back in particular that that matters, you know, not to dump down the argument to say that all running backs don't matter. I think that's a little bit uh, too black and white, but. I think that you can make the argument at the very least that Christian McCaffrey matters in some way, given given what he can do uh, both on the ground and through the air. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, another quarterback, Kyler Murray, never gets hit big. It's unbelievable right. how hard yeah. it is to get that guy. Uh, what'd you think of Kyler Murray on Sunday against the Falcons? I was like, you know, I was I wasn't sold that he was. I probably would have said Gardner Minshew was playing better than him. But what I saw on Sunday, I feel like. Kingsbury and Kyler Murray, I know it was against Atlanta, but they kind of got something going. Are you optimistic? Are you a buy on Kyler? Yeah, I love Kyler Murray, man. Uh, it, it really, I mean, look, got to put it into context. Atlanta down Keanu Neal. They've been awful without Keanu yep. Neal. They had some corner, some corner injuries, so obviously that benefited Murray as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, it, it, it's he, this is his sixth NFL game. 
Um, and, and if you look at, if you compare and contrast where they were at last year, which sure it's a different situation. They have uh, some different pieces. They have clearly have a different quarterback under center. Um, but if you compare and contrast where they were last season to this season, now they're, they're a pretty middle of the road offense where they were easily the worst last season um, with Josh Rosen under center. So, I mean, what we're seeing with, with Kingsbury, you know, there's enough criticism uh, with that hire to begin with, but I, I, I applaud their, their innovation and their, you know, at least going out there and trying to find someone who can shake things up a bit. Um, and I think that, that them matching that offense with, with Kyler Murray, who's perfect for the offense, clearly he has experience in that offense. Um, I think that there are, are good things to come for Kyler Murray and that entire group. Absolutely. And this will lead in the next quarterback I want to talk to, but Kyler Murray's got a Russell Wilson thing going on where it's a close game in the fourth quarter. He'll run for those first downs. He'll save it to the fourth quarter. I think Cam at certain times has been like that too, but that brings me to Russell Wilson, who I have his numbers up here. He's averaging career high, 284 yards a game, 14 touchdowns, zero picks uh, in 2019. Everyone's talking about him as an MVP candidate. Do you expect him to revert just a little bit to where his career averages have been, or can we expect this sort of perfect play from Russell Wilson? Yeah. I mean, so the one thing with Russ that's, you know, and I look at this a lot from a fantasy perspective when I'm, when I'm analyzing these guys going into a season, um, I wasn't nearly as high as the consensus uh, from a fantasy perspective on Russell Wilson, because last year he had an 8.2% touchdown rate. uh, And that's, that's one of the the go-to stats, an easy stat to look at is just touchdowns divided by attempts. But that's an easy stat to go to when looking at regression. Because typically, you know, good quarterbacks will be higher than average with, with touchdown rate. Uh, but at the same time, it almost always regresses. So Russ Wilson last season had an 8.2% touchdown rate. Now it's on the 7.4%. It's down, but it's still pretty high. And I think that the, the key here, though, with, with uh, Seattle is that uh, Brian Schottenheimer in that offense, you know, the defense isn't playing as well, so they're not seeing the positive game scripts that they saw last year. But even in neutral game scripts, they're throwing the ball a little bit more. They're being a little bit more aggressive, which is exactly what we needed to see out of Russell Wilson, not just from a fantasy perspective, but for everyone to see how good Russell Wilson is. I mean, he, he, he's another guy, too. You know, I mentioned earlier how important the rushing aspect of things is. He's another guy that's a dual threat that we often will look at what he's doing through the air and say, oh, my God, look at these numbers. He has 1,700 yards, 14 touchdowns, no interceptions so far this year. Oh, by the way, he can still do a lot on the ground as well. Um, and and that's, that's why, to me, when you put it all together and bring it all together and then you add in the supporting cast and what he's working with on the offensive line, to me, he's the clear MVP favorite. Right. right. It's not like the Seahawks ever draft a wide receiver high. I know they took Metcalf in the second round this year, but it's, a, it's amazing what he's been doing. I, I agree with that. But the other, you know, I think three weeks ago, the front runner for the MVP was Patrick Mahomes, which gets me my next question. How worried are you about the Chiefs offense and the Rams offense from both a real standpoint and a fantasy standpoint? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, look, everyone's talking about the Lions blueprint, the, uh, the using man against Patrick Mahomes. There's some validity to it. Um, you know, just to look back at that expected points model that I talked about earlier, uh, Brian Burke from ESPN, he has uh, his own expected points model. And this year against zone, Patrick Mahomes by far has the best expected points per drop back. Mm. Uh, but against man, and this was entering last week, but against man, he ranks 15. Um, so there is some validity to the point of, of him struggling against man. Um, and that's what we've seen in the last few weeks. Um, but I do think that we have to give this some context as well. Uh, Kansas City, uh, you know, they, they don't have Tyree Kill or they haven't for most of the season. Uh, Sammy Watkins has been banged up. So he's using uh, inexperienced wide receivers. That's, that's really what he's running this offense with right now. 
Um, I was a little bit frustrated this past week, uh, both from a fantasy and, <laughs> and even a real football standpoint, just, just hoping that Kansas City could just get things going because it's always entertaining to watch. Um, but they, they had uh, the, the running back matchup uh, through the air against Houston. Houston this season, by far, had allowed the most running back receptions in the league, and, and we saw them just cooking, uh, throwing to running backs early. Uh, but then the, at the end of the game, they only had a, the, the running backs only had a 14% target share. So I think part of that might have to do with Patrick Mahomes wanting to create those big plays and, and trying to, to, to push the ball down the field. He was one of seven on, on deep balls mm. uh, against Houston. And that's not, you know, it's not a secondary that's, that's, that's I mean, it's, it's a beatable secondary. Um, so that, that's a little bit concerning. I think that he's trying to do a little bit too much, but hopefully, you know, as Tyreek Hill gets healthy, he still didn't play uh, a, a whole lot of snaps, even though he found the end zone twice. When but, Tyreek Hill gets healthier, yeah. all of that, hopefully things will come together and but, at least help Patrick Mahomes. But is it the ankle and the fact that he makes all those great plays when he scrambles out of the pocket and goes downfield? I've seen him kill me in bets that I lost a million times. When they get to him and he goes to the right and he just guns at 30 yards outfield, it doesn't feel like he can do that, especially since he got stepped on uh, partway through last week's game. I feel like we're yeah, not yeah. seeing the same quarterback. So maybe it's just the ankle. Yeah, it could be. It could be just the ankle. I think that's definitely valid, too. And it's it's one of those things where, you know, our sample size is pretty small. It's like a split between the first three games where we saw a lot of zone, last three saw more men, and it just happened to be the fact that, that you know, he hurt his ankle in that second half split. So um, it could just be the ankle. Hopefully it is just the ankle, yeah. and, and we'll be able to, to see this offense click again. Now, so the other question, like, have people, you kind of hinting at, they sort of figured out ways to slow down Mahomes. It feels like the Sean McVay offense has been figured out by NFL defensive coordinators to some yeah. extent. Is that a is that a system thing, or is Goff playing poorly, or they miss Gurley? How do you ex- describe the Rams' shortcomings? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the first two years of Sean McVay being in L.A., their offensive line was dominant. Hmm. And then over the offseason, they lost pieces of that offensive line, and that's that's what we're seeing. And not only that, but Jared Goff uh, is one of the, the worst quarterbacks when you split uh, not under pressure and under pressure in the NFL. So when you when you beat up that offensive line or when you lose pieces of that offensive line, that's going to just crumble the rest of the offense in some way, shape, or form. So Jared Goff isn't going to be as effective. They're not going to be able to run the ball as well. Um, you know, the, the the great part about what Sean McVay was able to do is that he he showed the the, the NFL that you really should spread out the offense if you want to have an effective run game. Um, but now with that offensive line banged up, they're just not able to do it as well. And Jared Goff just hasn't hasn't played very well. Um, and, and it's really against teams, though, that can generate that pressure, which is why uh, San Francisco, in the way that they're playing defense, they were able to do what they did against L.A. this past week. I mean, this week, I, I would almost guarantee, and this is a, a fan, from a fantasy perspective, too, uh, L.A. plays Atlanta. Atlanta has one of the worst pressure rates in the league. Their secondary is beat up. Jared Goff should be absolutely fine against Atlanta. But when you're facing a team that can generate that pressure, you should be worried about the entire Los Angeles Rams offense. Okay. All right. I'll buy that. You're right. I do like uh, that Atlanta matchup. All right. Quick fire, and then uh, I'll let you go. I'm going to name a string of starting quarterbacks, and you tell me they will be starting with the same team week one of next season. Marcus Mariota. No. Jameis Winston. Yes. Ooh. Is the (laughs) fantasy expert creeping in there? Because the dude's put up some numbers, but five interceptions. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I get it. I get it. He's, he's way worse from a real perspective than a fantasy perspective. Um, I just think, I think he's better than Mariota, and he, sh- he at least shows these flashes of, of 
really good, strong play. He's just so inconsistent game to game. I'm just hoping that he can figure it out with Bruce Arians in this newer offense. Okay, Nick Foles in Jacksonville, even though he's not starting now, but will he be starting week one of next season? I'm going to say yes. Main reason, um, Gardner Minshew has been great. He's been a great story, and he's been fine. Um, But at the same time, you know, it's a small sample we're working with. Uh, there, you know, he was a later round draft pick for a reason. Um, I, I think that that money should be more on Foles than than Minshew. Andy Dalton. No. Draft someone. Is that what's going to happen in Cincinnati? So. Okay. I think I think they have to. You know, it's it's the right class to do it too. All right, yeah, I'm a, I'm an Andy Dalton fan, believe it or not. He's had no one to work with. I don't. I I, I so, agree. You I know, agree. He, they, somebody's they've been talking about this guy, Auden Tate, who might be a good fantasy pickup, but that dude couldn't separate from my grandmother. He's so slow. But that's besides the point. <laughs> uh, lastly, in your town, Cam Newton. Uh, I'm going to say, yeah, I think, I think Cam will be here. Do you think uh, he's going to really be healthy again? Are we ever going to see Cam Newton we saw three years ago? I don't think so. Uh, they've done a better job with this new offensive regime. They've done a better job of protecting him. Um, and and uh, look, Obviously, he has this foot injury that he's been dealing with, and he claimed whenever the injury happened that uh, you know he, he didn't he didn't uh, let everyone know how bad it actually was. Um, so, if we give him the benefit of the doubt as to why he might have might have performed at least below expectation the first couple of games, I mean, he can come back. And Cam Newton last season, towards the end of last season, the second half was not that bad. That offense was kind of clicking, um, and the defense is playing really well. That defensive line is awesome. Um, so, I, I think if Cam comes back. Um, and if he's fully healthy, I, I think he's going to be fine. And I think that he's going to be the starter next year. Okay, JJ, can you tell uh, my listeners a little bit about the late round podcast, what you could expect to hear there? Yeah, sure. Uh, so the late round podcast, it's like a 15 minute each episode show. So it's, it's very quick hitting. Uh, I don't really talk about random stuff and fluff and whatnot. It's very just, here's who you should add. Uh, here's the logic behind it. Here's who you should trade for. Here's who you should uh, sell in fantasy football. Uh, but it's all numbers-driven and logic-driven and reasoning-driven. Um, but it's a late-round podcast, very easy to listen to, hopefully. Um, very quick. You can just plug it in whenever you're, uh, you're uh, uh, during your morning commute and kind of go from there. But, yeah, it's the late-round podcast, very quick-hitting show. And why do you identify so much with late-round quarterbacks? Yeah, so uh, back in 2011, I want to say, 2011 to 2012, um, the fantasy community was drafting quarterbacks uh, early in the 2012 season after the crazy 2011 season, which was the, the near lockout season uh, when we saw these crazy, crazy quarterback numbers. Um, so the next season, as a result, a lot of fantasy players were drafting quarterbacks in the early rounds. There were five quarterbacks drafted in 2012 in the first two rounds of fantasy drafts, which is crazy to think about today because today people are waiting and waiting and waiting at quarterback position. But I, I realized that that was happening. And so I wanted to, to write, something or put something out there that explained why that was bad process. So I ended up reading, writing an ebook called the late round quarterback. And then it just kind of went from there. I love it, dude. Uh, well, I really appreciate your time and yeah, you're also a great, I really enjoyed your Twitter uh, feed. So yeah, let's keep, uh, let's keep people honest out there. And uh, I'd love to talk to you later in the season. Absolutely, man. I appreciate it. Okay. Talk to you later. Thanks, JJ. Thank you. All right, Mario, I saw you taking notes there. Uh, it's interesting. Like, I know like half the listeners don't play fantasy, so they might not care. Mm-hmm. But I like, JJ, like the analytics of it. That's how you got kind of got to approach the NFL these days. It's a purely numbers-driven thing. He had very little 